Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Experience Bow Bike Podcast. This is episode number two, part one. My name is Seth Dubois, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about my preparation uh, in terms of training and logistics and planning for the Steens Mazama 1000, which was my first self-supported ultra-endurance bike race. Uh, the Steens Mazama 1000 takes place in Oregon. It's a thousand-mile loop around Oregon where you, where you uh, ride through the Cascade Mountain Range, um, you ride into the Oregon High Desert, which is in Eastern Oregon. Um, you climb one of the uh, one of the highest uh, mountains in Oregon, the Steens Mountain. It's a 6,000 foot ascent, all gravel, and then you just turn around and descend it. Uh, you also climb Crater Lake during the route, which is one of the deepest lakes in the continental U.S. Um, it's the route is about 15% gravel and the majority of it road. Um, so being that it was my first event, there's a lot that went into it for planning. Uh, originally, I was just going to do, you know, one short episode, but there's just a lot I wanted to talk about in terms of preparation, planning, and then the race itself. So part one will be the logistics and the prep, and then part two will be the overview of the race. Uh, so I hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. All right. So starting off a little bit with my background, um, I come from a background of uh, competitive distance running. Um, so in middle school, high school, and college, I competed um, year-round, indoor track, outdoor track, and cross-country. And most of my focus in, um, on track, especially in, in college, was uh, 5K, 10K, the longer stuff. And then cross-country was 8K. Um, most of the time, I was, I was a pretty injury-prone athlete, so that's actually what got me into cycling because uh, cross-training on the bike was, was a great way to maintain fitness while I was injured and not able to run. Um, so I was kind of able to duplicate some of my, some of my, uh, workouts on the bike, um, that I had, that I had planned for, uh, for my running training. Um, so that was, it was a pretty easy means to, yeah, just, just stay fit. Um, but aside from that, I started actually really enjoying cycling outside of the cross training because, you know, it allowed me to, um, to explore more of, more of, uh, the area I was living in, which at the time in, in college was, uh, Cortland, New York, which is about 45 minutes away from Syracuse. Um, I forget maybe 30 minutes away from Ithaca. So it's beautiful there. There's a, the skinny Atlas Lake, which is a finger Lake, um, which is right near there. And I decided to do a, uh, 70 mile mile ride one weekend prior to that I'd only done maybe like 15 to 30 miles um so it was just it was as soon as I like embarked on the ride um it was just you know I was planning for an all day all day ride exploring this beautiful lake riding around the circumference of it someplace I'd never seen before um I had everything that I needed with me on the bike and I could just spend the day uh out there exploring and riding um, it was just, it was really invigorating for me having that freedom. So that's kind of like the spark that led me into, into longer riding and more exploring rather than just specifically training for running. Um, so yeah, that was great. And then, uh, I didn't really do much longer riding through my college years. Um, but after I graduated, uh, when I was living in New York, I, I chose to move out to Oregon, um, pretty much just a couple months after I graduated because I was really interested in the West coast and 
one of my friends was living in Corvallis, Oregon at the time. And he's like, Hey, you know, I, I know your interest in the West coast. Uh, we've got a group of athletes, a group of runners out here in Corvallis, Oregon. They're beautiful trails. Uh, you should just move out. We could split expenses and you can run with this team. Um, so that, that just like hooked me immediately. And yeah, within a couple months of graduating college, I decided to move to Corvallis, Oregon. So I lived in Corvallis for about five to six years, um, and then I decided to move to Portland, Oregon, because uh, I was just really uh, intrigued with with the city. There was a really awesome cycling community, uh, which ended up getting me involved in a lot of organized rides, like centuries. Um, there's a harvest, the Harvest Century, Reach the Beach, um, Banks to Vernonia and beyond, I think. Uh, so I just ended up getting into some of these organized rides, um, and then there is one race that my uh, that my friend is the race director of called the Swift Summit. Um, there's a there's a hundred mile and a two hundred mile for the race, and I decided to do the two hundred mile. This was in 2017, two years ago, and uh, since I'd already done a couple hundred miles, I was like, all right, you know, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to push my boundaries a little bit, do the two hundred mile. And it was, I mean, even after all the, all the competing I did through, um, you know, through my time as a runner, this was without a doubt, one of the, the hardest races for me. Um, I did not prepare for, I I didn't do any nutrition preparation. Um, I didn't, uh, go on training rides to figure out what would work for me and what my body could handle. It ended up just being a pretty, pretty hot day, um, And I may have gotten heat exhaustion or something, but by the end of it, I was just, I was completely done. (laughs) I was just like a complete wreck. It was the first, uh, first competitive race I've ever been in where I actually threw up at the end of the race and there was free pizza and, and free beer. Um, if you were, if you were a competitor at the, at the post-race party and I couldn't have any of it. I just couldn't keep anything down. It was terrible. But at the same time, um, it was, I don't know, it was still a really enjoyable experience. Um, I kind of like pushing those boundaries a little bit and seeing what my body can handle. Um, so at the post-race party, as I was like half asleep, one of my friends came up to me and, uh, his name's DBR, David Barstow Robinson. Um, he is a, uh, Trans Am vet. Um, he has done the Route 66 race and then he's also done the Indian Pacific wheel race based out of Australia. And, uh, he told me about the Steens Mazama. He's like, Hey, you know, if you like this race, maybe consider looking into the Steens Mazama next year. Um, I think you'd be pretty good at it. So thanks DBR. Um, you know, I really appreciate you. Uh, I don't know, kind of just kind of just getting my interests, um, peaked with, uh, with the Steens Mazama 1000. So this was in uh, August 2017 um, when DBR told me about the Steens Mazam 1000, and the race wasn't until I believe it was July July 9th of 2018, um, or at least early July of 2018. So I had plenty of time to uh, to train and plenty of time to learn about this whole self-supported ultra endurance cycling deal. Um, so I just complete. I just dove into to all the resources that I could. Uh, YouTube videos, blogs, um, people's gear lists. 
And then there are a ton of Facebook groups that are dedicated to these ultra endurance races. Um, and then, and there was one that was dedicated to the Steens Mazama 1000 prior years. So I just devoured everything I could. Um, a lot of great resources were, uh, were YouTube videos by Jesse Carlson. Um, he's an ultra endurance cyclist who has won the Trans Am. He's the race director of the Indian Pacific wheel race and the race to the rock in Australia. Um, he is a, he, he works for curve cycling and he's just really, really transparent in his knowledge about the sport of, um, the competitive side of ultra endurance cycling. So I, you know, grabbed as much information as I could from what he shared. Um, Sarah Hammond, Hammond is another one. Um, and then of course, Leo Wilcox, Mike Hall, um, in terms of podcasts, the hit an athlete podcast was was incredibly valuable because there are a ton of uh really really informative uh informational interviews um from from ultra endurance cyclists so yeah i kind of just devoured that information grabbed all the tips that i could um kind of reached out to some people that i knew were in the uh in the sport and i just started taking notes um you know excel i just i love using google drive to organize stuff so i just have had this folder of, of notes um, full of ultra endurance cycling and tips. Um, the uh, the previous le- the previous winner and record holder Craig Polly of the Steens Mazama One Thousand um, he had an interview on the Sprocket podcast, which uh, where he kind of just dis- discussed his experience with the race. So that was really valuable. Um, I took a ton of notes on that. And I also downloaded that podcast um, to listen to while I was racing during the race. I thought it would kind of be interesting, and it ended up it ended up being super valuable the last uh, the last night where I was struggling to stay awake. But we'll get into that. Um, so yeah, there are just there are a ton of resources out there, and this is this is one of those one of those sports and um, uh, activities where you're going, you're going to learn constantly. Um, there's, there's no set, you know, system, system of bikepacking bags or bike or shoes or whatever. That's going to be, um, perfect for, for everybody. So it's, it's all very individual based. Um, so there's a lot of trial and error, trial and error in figuring out what works for you, especially when it comes to, uh, like nutrition and your sleep system, Um, yeah. So in terms of preparation, I would say, uh, learning as much as possible and implementing it is, uh, one of the, uh, really the, the best thing you can do for yourself. But to, uh, to dive into preparation a little bit more specifically, um, I broke it down. I've got, I've got notes. Uh, I figured it'd be really difficult to kind of just monologue from my head. So, I've got some notes in front of me, um, just going over my preparation and the race experience. So in terms of preparation, I broke it down into logistics, uh, training, gear, some tips I've compiled, uh, food tips, and then my race plan. So starting off with the logistics planning, um, a lot of that was just like I mentioned, YouTube videos, blogs, all that stuff, uh, just, just gather information figure out how to actually do this type of race thing, this, this type of, uh, self-supported ultra endurance thing. Um, and then 
the the website itself a lot of a lot of self-support race self-supported websites um, or self-supported race websites will have uh, either cue sheets or they'll have the gpx file which you can download and you can kind of go through that information just to get an idea of um, what type of what type of cues the race organizer may have uh, for the race fortunately this one, the Steensman's on 1000 was, was very well, um, very well organized because the race director is Nathan Jones, who is also the race director of the Trans Am, which is the self-supported road race across America. Um, and then this year, Nathan Jones also, um, created the bike nonstop us race, which is, uh, which is a self-supported ultra race across the u.s but slightly more um slightly more gravel oriented a different it's a different route than the trans am so nathan had some had some great tips on the steens mazama 1000 cues um so i downloaded that stuff and then i kind of used that as a uh, as a foundation to go through go through my planning um and figure out what type of uh figure out where would be best for me to stop uh in terms of food uh, in terms of getting water and places to sleep, um, the biggest thing for me was to to try to stay on the bike as long as possible. Um, if you're if you're trying to be competitive competitive in these races, then that's that's pretty much the name of the game. It's like it's like um, a an eating competition, as many people would say. <laughs> to see how many calories you can get in as quick as possible, um, either on your bike or off the bike. And then, uh, you know, it's all, it's a competition just to, uh, see who's on the bike as long as possible, because if you're not on the bike, you're not moving forward. Um, so my main focus in terms of food and nutrition was to try to try to get the, try to find the places that were the easiest and quickest. So, um, a lot of those, where uh, I'd, I'd hit up grocery stores, I'd hit up convenience stores, um, little food marts. And I would, I had, I had a, um, a really, really small compressible backpack, uh, like a sill nylon backpack that, that folds up really small. And I would take that off my bike, walk into a store and just dump everything in the backpack. Um, I'd check out and then I would go back to the bike and situate everything on the bike or if i was pressed for time i would just throw the backpack on my back and start riding um so that was one of my favorite pieces of gear a uh, a little packable backpack um in terms of planning going back to to planning um logistics for for food and water google maps uh the street view of google maps if if the race you're doing um, is on, you know, is, is in a more populated location where there is a street view. Um, that's really valuable. It's obviously not great for any type of like mountain bike races or something, but for the Steensman's on 1000, I could just go to street view and I could look at all of the little towns that we'd be riding through and kind of just get like, get a little visual of what the town looks like and where these um where these stores are in relation to the the race route um so yeah that was really valuable uh, i made a a gear list 
Um, so after just listening to all the, all the YouTube videos, reading gear lists, um, I created my own based on what I thought would work for me. Um, and then also based on what I've, what I have tried in my, in my, um, preparation during training. And so I created this gear list. Um, so I had just like a big overview that I could, uh, go through and just, and just check off as I was preparing for the race. Um, so I had that. And then I also had a pre-race day checklist. So I wanted to make sure I had my gear list, everything on that checked off. And then I had a, uh, pre-race day prep list just to make it as easy as possible. Um, to get to the starting line of the race without being concerned about, uh, the fact that I was forgetting anything because I'd put in, put in weeks into creating this checklist and making sure that everything was included in it. Um, it, it was, I mean, it's really just basic stuff like make sure you have your helmet, make sure you bring your water bottles, um, stuff like that. And then make sure you have all your bags actually strapped to the bike. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see, um, filling a water bottle with electrolytes, like stuff like that. Um, it just, the, the goal for the, for the morning, the night before and the morning of the race was to make everything as mindless as possible. So, um, that was a, a really valuable tool. Uh, again, in terms of, um, preparing for the course for the route, uh, and then also, um, utilizing previous history. There's a, a website called trackleaders.com, um, that I utilize, that is utilized to track the riders of the Steens Mazama. So everybody gets a little GPS, um, and then you sign up for track leaders and you can, um, you can follow yourself and other people can follow the race, um, with these little GPS trackers on trackleaders.com. It just has an overlay of the route and uh, you can see everybody's location. But also, you can utilize it to replay prior races. Um, so I use that to replay the prior race where Craig Polly won just to see what, um, see what his, his methodology was for the race um, because it'll show you when people stop. It'll show you uh, how long they rest for. And so that was a great way for me to, to kind of just get like a, um, a baseline of my plan. Um, I was, I really had no, I, I had no idea what to expect of myself, um, because this is the first time I've ever done a race like this as mentioned, but at the same time, uh, I'm pretty competitive. So my goal was, um, to try to, uh, to try to win and, and beat Craig's time. Um, so what I ended up doing was taking track leaders and, uh, creating a, a little list of all of the towns, uh, and their mileage markers. And then what time, um, last year, what time, uh, Craig had, had made it into those towns the prior year. So as I was doing this race, uh, doing my race, when I got into a town, I could have a general idea of where I was in relation to where, uh, Craig, the winner was, uh, for last year. All right, so moving into the actual uh, physical training for the race, um, I had no structured plan whatsoever. Um, my goal was to, I ended up writing down on an index card, make it normal, and I just taped that next to my bed, 
And my whole thought process of that was, uh, was the fact that these, these types of races, the self-supported ultra endurance races are so, so mental. There's so much that goes into your performance of this race in terms of, um, just mental fortitude and, uh, you know, positive thinking and, uh, essentially like racing, like a clock, living like a clock, just having a routine down and a routine set. So my goal was to, during training, make it normal. Um, and what that meant for me was just waking up consistently early riding before work and, um, doing that again and again and again. <laughs> uh, so trying to make it as mindless as possible, because as soon as you wake up, you look at the time and, you know, you hear a little bit of rain or something, or you think about the fact that you're a little tired, you may not have gotten enough sleep last night. As soon as you start thinking that stuff, you're starting to prevent yourself from actually taking action. Um, so my goal, make it normal. As soon as the alarm gets off, get out of bed, throw my throw my clothes on. I always had my, my cycling clothes ready for me next to the bed because... Um, I figure as soon as I get in those clothes, I'm not getting back into bed. So, um, that was, that was like the foundation of my, of my mindset for training for the race. And then, uh, most days I would ride between 15 to 25 miles before work. So it wasn't terribly much, but I tried to, I tried to get a pretty hilly route. Um, I think typically the route was going to be, was about, uh, I don't know, maybe 1,500 to 3,000 feet of climbing. So not too bad. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really do many, many specific workouts. Uh, I didn't really do any intervals. I didn't do any hill workouts. Um, moving into into my training block for upcoming races, I'm definitely going to focus on that. But for this for this race, my focus was just, was just riding. Um, I did... I did kind of vary it a little bit with uh, some some randonneur events. So in Portland, there's a there's an Oregon randonneur uh, club, and I found randonneurs or brevets to be incredibly useful because it was it was a great means for me to to practice um, practice longer rides with a sense of urgency. Because a lot of times, like when I went out on rides myself, there there was no sense of urgency. There was nobody around me. Um, you know, I I do like to push myself, but at the same time, like uh, I like taking photos and enjoying the view. <laughs> so signing up for a couple of these brevets um, helped helped put a little bit of pressure on myself, where uh, there were other people involved that were doing the route and. They, they are also self-supported. So I did two 300Ks and a 400K. And um, for that type of distance, you have to, you know, you definitely have to eat. And so my goal was to, to play around with nutrition and figure out what worked for me on these brevets uh, and try to transfer that over into my racing for steens. Um, so I'd start out with food that I thought would work for me uh, for the beginning of the race. And then I would experiment with food midway through the the rides um at convenience stores to see what worked uh what definitely did not work is 
sandwiches with white bread <laughs> for me. I know some people like sandwiches, but for me, it turned into like this awful, like it just felt like glue to the roof of my mouth. Um, I was just like constantly, constantly chewing this white bread and it was not breaking down. And I'd have to like drink a quarter of a quarter of my water bottle just to be able to, to bring, to, to take that down. Um, Cliff bars don't really work well for me. Granola bars, anything that's like super, that takes a lot of chewing, um, didn't work well for me. For some reason, I know, uh, Coca-Cola is huge. Coca-Cola or Pepsi like soda because it's, it's calorie dense. It's got sugar, um, which is, you know, really valuable for this type of stuff. And for some reason, I don't know why, um, the, uh, maybe it's the carbonation, but as soon as I, I drink soda on these rides, I feel like I have like an instant, um, uh, got, it's like, it's almost like instant, uh, strep throat. It's not that terrible, but my throat gets super scratchy and then it makes it difficult to, uh, to swallow other foods. So, uh, unfortunately I stay away, unfortunately, or fortunately I stay away from soda and, um, I try to, I try to move more towards, uh, like, um, like fruit smoothies, uh, because a lot of convenience stores will have fruit smoothies. I've found V8 is to, V8 is hands down one of my favorite things, um, to get during, during a ride because of the high amount of sodium and, uh, during these ultra races, there's, you're eating a lot of crap. So it's kind of nice to have something that, you know, is like a semblance of, of fresh food, vegetables, not that it's fresh whatsoever. (laughs) Um, so yeah, the, the brevets were, were incredibly useful just to have that sense of urgency during my racing. Um, it was also valuable to get a sense of pace, what I can maintain, um, for pace on longer duration rides rather than just like a 60 mile or something. Um, cause like 300, 400 K, um, that takes most of the day. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was great to, to kind of figure out that type of pacing. Um, it made me a lot more comfortable, uh, going into the, the first day of the Steens Mazama when, you know, everybody's, everybody's nerves are kind of high and there's, there's some anxiousness. So, you know, typically there's a tendency for people to, to start fast right out the gate. Um, and so it, you know, it, it helped with my confidence to know what I was able to maintain. Now, in terms of, um, more specific type of rides, well, not really specific, but, uh, I, I chose to do a couple overnight trips and I highly recommend this. I know most people recommend this, just because if you're doing a multi-day event and you haven't tested your gear, um, overnight for those types of conditions, whether it be rain or, you know, specific temperature, um, it could make the race really miserable. And I had some really miserable (laughs) multi-day events where I was not prepared whatsoever. And that kind of, that kind of helped, um, uh, it helped prevent me from making those terrible mistakes again. So the, the first overnight bike packing trip I I've ever done was in 2010, 2018. So, so last year in February, um, I went with a couple friends to the Dallas in Oregon and we ended up doing a pretty popular route 
called the Oregon Stampede. Um, it's about 120 miles. Uh, I think maybe about 10,000 feet of climbing. I, I don't remember specifically. And then primarily, primarily just gravel oriented. Um, that night, so we did it in two days and that night was the first night of the year where it ended up snowing. And I, for some reason in February thought, oh, I'm just going to be racing. So my whole, my whole plan during, um, my whole plan for the Steens Mazama was just to, to bring a lightweight bivy, not use a sleeping bag or anything like that because I wanted to be as lightweight as possible and I was going to minimize my, my sleeping. Um, so I ended up just bringing a bivy for the, uh, the Oregon stampede route, um, which was completely idiotic. <laughs> I also forgot my thermal leg warmers and, uh, backup of, um, uh, heavy winter gloves. So that night was without a doubt, one of the most horrendous nights I've ever had sleeping outside. Um, as I mentioned, I woke up in snow in just a bivy and all I had it on for lower layer were my, um, my cycling bibs and then a pair of rain pants, which have no insulation whatsoever. Um, yeah, it was terrible. And I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but I definitely learned, uh, never, never to do that again and double check that you have all your gear out of the car before you start riding. Uh, especially if it's a multi-day ride where you're sleeping overnight. Um, so prepping your gear or not prepping your gear, but, uh, testing your gear, having a checklist and, um, and experimenting with your food. Those are all things that can be, that can be, uh, practiced and implemented and, um, refined with, with multi-day trips. Um, so I, I really, really valued that for my training. Um, and that was, that was pretty much it in terms of, in terms of like specific training. Uh, I just did, I think it was two overnight trips, um, three brevets, two, 300 K one, 400 K as mentioned. Um, and then just, you know, riding as much as possible during the day, uh, or before work. The, in terms of, in terms of, um, what's the term tapering? Uh, I actually, had a, my, my right knee, I'm not sure what caused it, but it was three weeks prior to the Steens Mazama. My right knee was, um, aggravating me a lot. So I was really worried about that. So three weeks prior, I kind of, uh, I really, um, reduced my, the amount of, uh, the amount of cycling that I did, um, maybe every other day and then only like 10 to 15 miles. Uh, so there were, there was almost a month leading into the race where I wasn't riding that much. And I was really, really, really worried about it at first, um, going into the race because I was like, oh man, you know, I've done all this training prior. Is it going to stick with me? Um, am I going to be exhausted? Are my legs going to be exhausted from, from not riding these longer distances, uh, three weeks prior, but it ended up working out fine for me. Um, I, I think it actually, uh, was, was good for me to get a little bit of a break. 
but at the same time that depends on everybody. Um, I think one of the biggest, biggest things leading into these races is setting yourself up to feel comfortable, um, mentally. So you're comfortable going into this race with, um, uh, with your training. Um, and then, and then, you know, playing around to figure out what type of, what type of tapering is best for you. But that's always tricky for these type of things because they don't come around very often. And, um, yeah, they don't come around very often. (laughs) Uh, learning your, learning the best tapering method is a, uh, is a thing that just comes with time. Um, but so far I've done three races and I've kind of limited the last, uh, the last two weeks, uh, which, which is kind of standard and it's worked well for me. All right. So going into the gear overview, um, this is, this is going to be pretty short. I don't want to get into like really deep specifics about gear, um, especially through a podcast because that could just get really, really boring. Um, if you go to experiencebybike.com, uh, in the blog, there is a, I did a, a more, much more in-depth gear list about the Steens Mazama race. So you can see everything that I packed and photos of that gear. Um, but just to give you a little brief overview, the bike I used was a, uh, Cannondale Synapse, an aluminum Synapse. Um, and I rode with 30C Vittoria Rubino Pro G plus tires. Um, they were amazing. I love Vittoria Pro. I I love Vittoria brands tires. Um, I ran these with tubes and over the thousand miles with, uh, a hundred, 250 miles of gravel. I never had an issue. Um, no flat whatsoever. I actually had a flat the night before, um, because there was, there was a rider's meeting the night before and I ended up riding home. I rode over this like industrial sized staple that went through my tire. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just changed out the tube and I was good to go and never had issues during the race. So, Highly recommend Vittoria Rubino tires or just Vittoria tires in general. I know for the Tour Divide for mountain biking, um, the Vittoria Mezcals are great. Um, and then also I just wanted to hit on the fact that my bike, I bought it new through REI for 700 bucks. Um, it is aluminum and it is, uh, it had Sora components. So you know, nothing high-end, no Dura-Ace, no Ultegra, no 105. Um, Sora got me through. Uh, so you really, you know, for this type of stuff, you really don't need to get the most expensive things. Um, there are a ton of people, there are a ton of bikes that are fully capable, um, even, you know, older steel bikes, fully capable and comfortable and, uh, you know, can can hold more stuff more efficiently potentially (laughs) um so yeah just wanted to point that out uh in terms of the bags i had one snack pouch um one apodura snack pouch uh 14 liter saddlebag apodura saddlebag which is which was the dry bag um and then a apodura half frame bag and then uh, an apodura extended top tube bag um, again, there are Apodura's 
definitely on the higher end of price um, since they're more like lightweight competitive focused. But the beautiful thing about this whole sport and the people involved is every there are so many brands out there that are or companies that are creating um, bike packing focus bags. So the the um, the range of pricing for these bags has uh, is incredibly varied. You can find ones that are significantly cheaper than Epidur, and they're still going to be just as effective. Um, that's just what I ended up going with. In terms of navigation, I used a Garmin Etrex 20X, which is more of like the uh, like the hiking variant. Um, it, it it takes AA batteries. Um, so I just ended up getting lithium AA batteries because lithiums last significantly longer. And also utilizing the AA batteries, I wouldn't have to worry about um, recharging and using my my cash batteries uh, or using them too much because I didn't have a dynamo um, a dynamo hub where I could charge any where I could charge things with my hub. Um, so I just ended up using cash batteries. Uh, I had a backup GPS, which was a Garmin 200. Um, I only I kept that off because I didn't want to waste the batteries. I would only turn it on if um, if I ended up running low on the Etrex and if I didn't have spare batteries, um, so that I just had a, a backup navigation. And then, in addition, um, I had backup navigation on my phone. So I use Ride with GPS. I downloaded the Steens Mazama route on my phone, so it was available offline. Uh, I also downloaded um, offline maps on Google Maps, and I use maps.me, um, which is very similar to Gaia GPS. Um, and then I downloaded offline maps on maps.me.com. So in terms of navigation, I am a big, big fan of redundancy. Uh, so I had everything that I needed to, to find my way on this route. Um, like I mentioned, for for power, I just use cash batteries. I think it was I used maybe twenty thousand milliamps, um, <clears throat> and uh, I ended up running out or running low on batteries the final night because I forgot to to charge them. So that was unfortunate. Um, for lights, I used a three hundred lumen front light and a seven hundred and fifty lumen front light. The 300 was a, um, what is it, uh, Portland Design Works, and then the 750 was a Knight Rider Lumina. Um, and then I also had one tiny Nog uh, KNOG headlight on my helmet, which is just a single AA. Um, I don't know, it maybe it's maybe like 100 lumens or something, but just a good backup, which I ended up needing. Um, all of those, aside from the Nog, um, the two headlights were, were, uh, rechargeable batteries. So I ended up using recharge those, um, for my rear lights. I, I had two rear lights that both took double A batteries or no, I think, uh, they both took triple A batteries. Um, because the, the rear lights with the AAA batteries or the ones that take batteries will just, they last forever. And again, you don't have to worry about, uh, using your cash battery source to charge them. In terms of my sleeping gear, I had a sole emergency bivy and a little tiny, uh, closed cell phone mat that I just cut to torso length. Um, so essentially I just like put it inside my bivy. 
I laid on it and I kept my knees, um, I had my feet down, so my knees were elevated. Um, so I was just essentially just protecting my torso from the ground. Um, it was super, super lightweight and I didn't end up sleeping much during the race anyways. So I didn't really need anything terribly comfortable, but for longer duration races or something that's not during the summer, um, I would definitely be carrying more. I had three water bottles, uh, two 750 milliliter water bottles on the bike. And then on the down tube, I had a little, um, SKS brand water bottle mount that just straps on so that I could carry a third water bottle, which was 500 milliliters. Um, I had a, a little pack of self-care items, which is just like, uh, chamois butter, Tums, Advil, basic first aid, um, antibiotic cream, caffeine pills, electrolyte tabs. And then most importantly, I had wet wipes. Um, those are super valuable for, for self-care for the saddle area. Uh, when you're riding that, that amount of time and you're not stopping much and you're sweating, it's really, really important to, um, to, to keep the, to keep yourself and the bibs clean. So I would periodically use wet wipes, um, to, uh, yeah, just keep everything clean. And then I had, um, I had read that, that aura gel as, as odd as this sounds, I mean, this may not sound odd to other people, (laughs) more experienced riders, but I had a, a, a little tiny tube of aura gel because I heard if you, if you end up getting bad saddle sores, um, you could use aura gel to help numb them. Uh, thankfully I never needed it. Uh, for clothes, I had leg warmers and arm warmers. Um, I didn't use, I didn't have insulated long pants. I just had, um, I just had my cycling shorts and leg warmers. And, uh, I had in terms of the arm warmers, they were actually more UV protection focused because it was summer. So they were just white and they had like, I think it was a 50 SPF rating. Um, so I kept those on the whole time. I didn't want to worry about applying sunscreen to my arms. Um, and then, oh, that's also another self-care thing. So sunscreen, very important. Uh, and then for clothes again, wind jacket, uh, I had a wind vest. I had a Marmo precip rain jacket and then just a generic puffy vest, um, which I kept in a dry bag because this is a, having a puffy vest or like a really good, um, insulation, uh, warm insulation jacket is incredibly, incredibly valuable, um, or not even valuable. It's necessary, um, for, for safety purposes, especially doing multi-day rides where it could be, could end up being really cold. It's imperative to have something to keep your, to keep your core warm. And so I keep it in a dry bag so that it stays dry no matter what. Um, I put it on at night as I'm getting in my bivy, uh, where it should also stay dry. And then, um, as soon as I start, right before I start riding, I put it right back in the dry bag and keep it in the bag. So, um, very important to, you know, have that insulation layer that stays dry. Um, on the bike, I had a set of, um, uh, aero bars profile design T3 plus. And then my saddle was a Shimano pro stealth. Um, 
which is which is a slightly wider saddle with a shorter nose which makes it very easy to to get into the arrow position uh it's really really important to to make sure that your contact points are happy in these types of races so having a saddle that really works well for you um having the arrow bars is super valuable because it uh i mean without even the the arrow benefits it's it's just another um it's a it's a separate contact point to give your hands a rest um so that was that was incredibly valuable i double wrapped my handlebars so that they were a little bit more um more soft and cushy um yeah so i highly recommend arrow bars um in terms of these type of ultra endurance races, almost likely always, always keep them on my bike. Uh, I also got a bike fit, which is, um, uh, obviously, yeah, it, you know, very, very effective to, as, as many people know, bike fits are incredibly valuable and effective so that you are, um, cycling and riding at a optimum and most efficient position for yourself. Um, so it optimizes your, your power to the bike. It optimizes your power transfer to the bike. But more importantly, um, that efficiency also comes in uh, mitigating, mitigating injuries that, that, may, that may occur from uh, an improper fit or... Um, or excess motion that is created from, you know, from not having a proper fit. Um, so if you've got the time to get a bike fit before these are one of these races, definitely recommended, uh, for clothing. One of my favorite, favorite things, favorite items was a wool buff. Um, not only I had a really thin one, so it could be used not only for, um, for like cold nights or cold mornings, but also for UV protection. Uh, I kept it around my neck on really warm, hot days. Um, yeah, they're, they're incredibly valuable. So many options for them. Uh, so many uses you can, you know, keep it around your neck. You can pull it all the way over your head. Um, you can just have it up to your ears. Highly recommended to have a tiny wool buff for locking my bike. Uh, I had a really tiny, cafe lock um just like one of those small cable locks very very small cable locks and i actually never ended up using it because my only thought process for using it was if i was going to keep my bike outside um but most of the time i would bring my bike or outside when i was at a at a rest stop most of the time i just brought my bike inside with me to the grocery store and i'd walk around with it in the grocery store or i'd just have it like up front where i could see it um so moving forward in my other races, I haven't taken a lock with me. Uh, what I have done is taken my helmet off and then locked my front wheel um, or just like snapped my helmet, the strap around the front wheel and then around my bike frame. And then I have a little uh, a little bear bell. I forget what the, the brand is, but um, I just have a little bear bell on my bike so I can hear if, um, if anybody tries moving the bike. Um, yeah, so that was that was pretty much it in terms of my relatively short overview of gear. Uh, again, feel free to go to experiencebybike.com, and there's more gear, um, a more in-depth gear list to uh, to be seen. All right, so for a quick quick brief of 
tips that I've that I've gathered along the way. Um, I think in the future I'm going to have a podcast that's more focused on on um, tips for bike packing and ultra endurance races. Um, so if you have if you're listening and you have any tips uh, that you'd like to share, that would be awesome. Again, experience by bike is the Instagram page and then Seth at experience by, by bike.com to reach out to me directly. Um, so for some quick tips, having your airplane, having, <laughs> having your airplane in phone mode, um, no, having your phone in airplane mode, uh, saves the battery. So it's not constantly searching for signal. If you're somewhere without signal, obviously you're not going to end up getting any notifications or texts. Um, so you can just turn it off airplane mode as needed, but, I kept my phone in airplane mode as much as possible uh, to save the battery. Um, and then also, I have a Samsung Galaxy S8, which is uh, you know not not the newest and greatest, but it has a power save mode, which kind of just like turns the screen um, black. It it doesn't allow access to any apps. It prevents them from running in the background. It minimizes the uh, the graphics utilized. So it increases my battery battery life dramatic dramatically um, so I use that as well uh, as previously mentioned double wrapping bar tape uh, just just keeps keeps a little bit more comfortable I also got um, tenacious reflective tape and I put that on my bike uh, I, I cut little little strips um, and I put them on my fork I put them on my crank arms and then on my rear seat stays um, I put I put some tape on reflective tape on my bags. Um, so that was a really, uh, really important thing for me for, uh, for safety and visibility, especially riding at night. If you, especially if you have reflective, um, reflectiveness on moving parts, like your crank arms, uh, makes you really, it makes your bike and yourself much, much more visible to, uh, um, to drivers. In terms of gloves, I didn't really have any, uh, waterproof warm gloves um i just had some thick warm gloves and i ended up just buying those like yellow dishwasher gloves some some big dishwasher gloves so that i could fit them on top of my gloves in case it was raining so it was a great waterproof um waterproof cover for my hands um and then i brought my packable backpack as mentioned for uh for running into restaurants and just having excess stuff and then also quarters and loose cash um, for vending machines in case stores are closed. All right, so those were some of my brief tips. If you have any uh, suggestions or tips of your own, then that would be awesome. Um, if you felt like sharing them with me, I would love to, uh, to create a resource um, to, to share more tips and suggestions for, uh, for everybody, um, new or experienced. So moving on now to the the race plan that I had. Um, essentially, I'd, I'd kind of mentioned before that uh, my goal was to be competitive and was to kind of key off what Greg Pauly did the year before, uh, what the previous winner did. Um, so I had his his times as he entered town so I could kind of track myself in that aspect. But at the same time, um, number one, I knew he was an incredibly strong rider. Number two, I knew there were some very strong riders that were in um, in this race, uh, there were, so, so as much as I wanted to be competitive with, with a prior year's time, uh, the focus was definitely on the race. Um, 
and just racing smart. Um, I wanted to I wanted to race comfortably and comfortable. So I think uh, what that meant to me is being able to maintain a pace that was that was you know not necessarily in my comfort zone, um, which felt kind of like a stretch to me, but uh, but but not to the extent that it would it would ruin my race if I um, if I, I guess, overestimated the effort that I was putting in, um, if that makes sense at all. So I just, I just wanted to race smart and kind of listen to my body. I didn't use a heart rate monitor or power meter or anything like that. Uh, I just, I just based the, the pace and the effort that I was, that I was going off of, um, by the experience that I had in training by doing my randonneurs and doing those multi-day events, um, or multi-day rides. So that was that was essentially my um, my goal: uh, be competitive and be smart. Um, stay on the bike as much as possible. Stop, uh, stop. Have my have my resupply turnarounds as quick as possible so I could get on the bike. Um, and then last year, um, or in the in the prior year, Craig had Craig had ridden through the first night and. That had, I mean, even more so than that, he, it was it was wild. I think he went clo- just over sixty hours of riding without taking his first um, first sleep stop, which ended up being in Crater Lake. Um, here, let me see. So Crater Lake, in terms of, I've actually got track leaders pulled up right now because I was doing a little um, a little review of the of the of my race prior. Uh, so Crater Lake is about 680 miles into the race. That's the first real time that Craig ended up stopping and sleeping when he set the record. That is wild. <laughs> um, so uh, I definitely didn't expect myself to do that. But by doing so, by staying on the bike and mitigating the amount of sleep he utilized... Um, he was able to open up a, a huge lead. So my thought process was to see if I could um, ride through the night, uh, see how, because I'd never really, I've never really done an event, um, obviously of this caliber, like I mentioned, but one that involves uh, sleep deprivation, which uh, kind of plays into essentially any ultra endurance race. Um, so that was my goal also, sleep through the night and kind of, or ride through the night and see if I was able to actually manage that. Um, and then I, I wanted to play around with the idea of power naps, um, and then just like slightly longer power naps. Uh, so my thought process was like, if I was getting tired, um, kind of lay down for, for a period of 15 to 30 minutes for a power nap. And then longer, longer rest periods of 60 to 90 minutes. If those, if those weren't working, uh, that, that ultimately did not end up working for me whatsoever. I'm not sure if it works for other people, but, um, it's never something I had tried in training. It's just something that I wanted to kind of play around with during the race. And yeah, it sucked. Um, we'll, we'll get into that, uh, during the, the race overview, but, Essentially, sleep deprivation is cumulative, and if you don't catch up on it, uh, it hits you pretty hard. And then the final thing for the the race plan was um, this was this was a, a really 
kind of a, a fun logistical aspect of the race. There was a ferry crossing in a town called Buena Vista. Um, and the ferry is open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The ferry is at mile 920 of the thousand mile race. And um, if you miss the ferry, you either have to stay until the ferry opens again at 7 a.m. Or there's a 20-mile detour um, that you could add on to get around uh, the little lake or body of water and continue on with the race without having to wait for the ferry in the morning. Um, So, yeah, that added a a nice little curveball into the race. Um, And I missed the ferry. Uh, And added on the 20 miles, and it sucked. Um, But, yeah, so that's that was my, my plan on... Uh, on, I don't know, kind of, kind of assessing the race. My thought process was just competing with others and myself and kind of just see where that would lead me. All right. So that mostly wraps, uh, part one of this episode. So in part two, I'm going to be going over the, the race overview and, my experience during the race, what you can look forward to if you decide to do the Scenes Mazama 1000. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you subscribe to the podcast. Um, I would also appreciate if you went to iTunes and just left a left a review, um, rated and commented the podcast that helped with visibility and just help with, uh, with feedback from me. So thanks again for tuning in.